James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. James goes on and he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so that you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I'm going to take a wild guess and say, I bet you we haven't had many sermons from this passage in our churches. This is the first you've heard of it. Let me just tell you, this section of scripture, though, is very important for us to study. And you're going to see tonight why we're only going to get as far as verse three. But there actually is great debate among Bible scholars as to whether or not James is writing to these verses to unbelievers or to believers. There, there are those that say that because of some of these terms that he's using. You sinners, you double minded that he's only talking to believers. There are others that say, no, 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 he talks about the spirit that he's caused to live in us. But actually, as you're going to see when we get to those verses later on, not tonight, when it talks about his spirit that he's caused to live in you, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the spirit that he's given us, that we could connect with him. He's jealous over that spirit that he's given us. And so there are those that say James was only writing to unbelievers here. But I want to show you from the whole of this book, I believe that James is actually writing to the church, which, as you hopefully understand, is made up of unbelievers and believers. When I say the church, I'm going to put that in quotes. The Bible is very clear. As you know, I just came back from preaching a week in Virginia. That's why there was no Bible study last week. And the series of messages that I just preached, and they're on our website, they're on our YouTube channel already, if you would like to see them. The series of messages that I preached in Virginia was a brand new series that I've never preached before on Jesus's messages to the seven churches in Revelation. And what became an eye-opener for me was a bunch of things, but one of them was this. It was the fact that as much as those letters were written to churches, literal churches that existed, and also to the churches throughout the church age, it was also mainly written to individuals. As you look at the scriptures and you go back and read those letters to the messenger of the church in Ephesus and so on, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will make these promises. If anyone will open the door, I know the people in the church, and I know there are some of you that haven't soiled your garments. As, as he spoke to the church, as he was speaking to the individuals, and what God had me preach to that church in Virginia last week was this. Don't hear these letters and try to see what God's saying to your church. Because you won't hear what he has to say. Ignore what he's saying to your church. Hear what he's saying to you. 
Because if individually we allow the Spirit of God to speak to us, you'll also come to realize that the church will be fine. But let me also say this. This is what another thing that God opened my eyes to. The book of Revelation was written to who? The churches is the message that God gave John to give to the churches. Yet, as we've already looked at, from chapter 4 through chapter 19, the church is not there during all that happens there. And as we've already touched on, we've been given the same responsibility that Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the Old Testament prophets had been given. You remember the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 1 that they searched intently, searching what the Spirit of Christ in them was talking about as they talked about the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would, be, would follow. And they were told, this that you've been given to share is not going to happen in your lifetime. And in the same way, we in the church have been given in the book of Revelation a message of what is going to happen, not in our lifetime. But in the same time, as much as it was given to the churches, at the same time, he also spoke before he got to what goes on in the tribulation period in the judgment of the world, a message of two chapters to the churches. Folks, would you not agree that we are real close to the return of Jesus and what's going on in the world and the signs of prophecies that are being fulfilled and the, the one world government picking up speed and all that stuff that the Bible says is going to happen? Well, don't miss this. And this is where we're going to go tonight. The Bible's very, very clear that actually God's more interested in purifying his church right now than he is with dealing with the world. He's going to deal with the world. But before he deals with the world... He's purifying his bride. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verses 12 and through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Listen to verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Here, Peter says, listen, God's going to deal with the world. But what he's doing right now is preparing his bride for the wedding. Those of you ladies who remember your wedding day, if you remember the days before that, you spent your time getting ready for the wedding, correct? I, my wife of 33 years coming up this July, she did something that blew my mind when she and I were engaged. She had, an, she had a hair appointment to practice her hair before her hair appointment for the wedding. She literally paid a lady to do her hair up the way it was going to be done for the wedding weeks before the wedding so she could make sure that she liked it and then everything else would match with it. I just wore a tux that someone else wore the weekend before. I didn't care. 
But she was making herself ready. You remember, you ate celery. You checked yourself in the mirror all the time because you knew the wedding day was coming and you were getting ready for that moment. And the Bible is very clear that God's purpose is to get his bride ready. In Revelation, when it talks in chapter 19 of he's coming and the marriage, the bride has made herself ready. Listen to me as we break down chapter four and he's been doing it already in the book of James and you might have missed it. God is in the process of purifying his church. And as he's doing so, he's also going to be saying, just because you're a member doesn't mean you're a Christian. Again, don't listen for your husband or your wife or your sister or anybody else. That's one of the things that jumped off the page at me as I preached these messages, five messages through the seven churches in Revelation. He was giving commendation, but also a lot of correction. And it would say things like, hey, you know what? You're doing all this great stuff and you haven't even grown weary, but you left your first love. You don't do it because you love me anymore. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do. And he says, realize the height from which you've fallen and repent. He encourages the church in Smyrna and he says, hang on, even if some of you have to die for your faith, just hold on. He then talks up to the next church and he says, you know what? Sin has crept into that church where you've got some individuals who are actually starting to think that sin's okay. And again, don't think about anybody else. Are you being tempted to say, well, this isn't that big of a deal? Or maybe I don't believe what the Bible says is sin is really sin anymore. And trust me, that's happening in our churches tremendously because of family members that have all of a sudden changed their minds when it comes to their gender or whatever. And a lot of Christians are now wrestling with, is this sin? Maybe it's not. And then he says to the next church, not only has the sin crept in, but you've actually got this woman Jezebel and you've got people teaching doctrine in the church that it's okay. And folks, has that not happened in our churches today? Well, there are actually churches that say it hasn't just crept into a few individuals. We as a church teach that it's okay. And then we get to the end of the church age. The church in Laodicea. And he says, you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked, all descriptions of the loss. Now, listen, how many of you remember the picture? You probably saw it in your grandmother's house, the painting of Jesus in the garden, knocking on the door in the garden. And how there was no handle on the outside. It only could be open from the inside. You know which painting I'm talking about, right? Have you ever thought about the fact that that was written to the church? We've always seen that as Jesus knocking on the door of the lost. If anyone would just open the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. But guess what? That was written to the church in Laodicea. And it's all representative of the last time, day, the last time period, the days we're in. Folks, let me say something to you. God is going to deal with the world. But that's not who he's dealing with right now. He's working on us. And so I want you to see from the context of this letter that I think the Bible teaches us that all along James has been writing to both saved and unsaved in the quote unquote church there that he was writing to. Go back to James chapter one. Look at verses two through four and then verse 12. 
He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Jump to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So was he writing to believers or unbelievers? He's mainly writing to believers to encourage them. He says, brothers, I want you to Rejoice in the fact that your faith is being tested. And we already looked at that when we studied this, that one of the main reasons for trials in our life is to prove our faith genuine. Oh, but look at chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Sounds like he's talking to believers and unbelievers. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So now as he's writing to believers, he's also saying, some of you aren't believers. Some of your religion is worthless. Oh, go to chapter 2, look at verses 13 through 17. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. But what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works or evidence of that faith, can that kind of faith save him? For example, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He's talking to unbelievers, isn't he? And believers. But he's going to let the Holy Spirit separate who's who. Go to James chapter 3. Look at verses 10 through 18. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, 
impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I don't know if you've caught this yet or not, but James starts off encouraging the believers in the trials because it's going to prove their faith genuine, and those who stand the test are going to be rewarded. But now he starts to slowly start to say, oh, and by the way, not everybody in there is one. Not everybody is a believer in your, con in your group. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. This is not a Bible study to make you question whether or not you're saved. That is Satan's job, and Jesus doesn't do it. Listen very closely. When you, if you sit there and you think, well, maybe I'm not, that's not God talking. Because I'm going to help you out with something. If you want to have trouble hearing God, he never starts anything with maybe. When God speaks, it's direct, it's clear. There's a big difference between wondering if you're saved and knowing you're lost. Satan is the one who wants to make you question your salvation. And all of us who are in the, in the faith have been through that trial. All of us have gone down that road where Satan's messed with us. And let me encourage you with this. Did Satan know that Jesus was the Son of God? Did Satan know that Jesus was God? But when Jesus was in the wilderness being tested and tempted by the devil, Satan has the nerve to say to Jesus, if you are the son of God. So if Satan would try to make Jesus question whether he was son of God, don't be surprised if he ain't going to make you try to question it. So listen, there's a big difference between questioning if you're saved and knowing you're lost. The spirit of God will show each of us where we are. And you need to listen to what he's telling you. And he's not going to stutter. All right. But now. In chapter four, James is continuing this same theme. Let the Holy Spirit now show you your true heart, and your, your true condition. But before we go back and break down chapter four, though. I want to look at some other passages in the scriptures that will help us set the stage for what God wants to show us. All right. We've already seen that it's time for judgment to begin with who? With the church, the household of God. So don't be surprised if God isn't getting a little bit more intense with his church in these days. Let me say something to you that hopefully will help you. If you have this mindset that has been taught, unfortunately, for too many years, that the church is going to bring in this great revival, it goes against the scriptures. Jesus in Luke chapter 18 made this statement. He said, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus in Matthew chapter seven said, narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And how many find it? Few there be that find it. Folks, we are to be sharing the gospel. We are to be telling people about Jesus. But Jesus himself said, and you're going to see this tonight in some of the scriptures that I'm going to read to you. It's going to get worse and worse and worse in the last days. And godlessness is what's going to increase. Now, will there be a multitude of people from every nation, tribe and language that come to faith during the tribulation period? Yes. It tells us that very clearly in chapter 14, that there's going to be this multitude. And the book of Revelation talks about this multitude that have been saved during the tribulation period. And God's using of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses and the two witnesses in Jerusalem and all that. And I'm not saying we should just say, well, there's only going to be a few people. No, but listen to me. If you keep thinking that we're going to change the world for Jesus, you're don't understand the days that we're in. Actually, as we saw 
in the letters to the churches, even the churches get sicker and sicker. But he knows those who are his. And he says to you who are his and me, and let me tell you, God's been working on Jim Johnson quite a bit. And actually, I'm in the process right now, and we'll talk about it more later. I'm not going to get into too much detail. But I'm in the process right now of God purifying me. Not because I've got some horrible sexual sin problem or whatever that needs to be dealt with. But there's a, an issue of control in my life that has been there for years, but he's now choosing to bring it to light. I'm at a certain point in my life where, you know, my kids are grown. They're out of college. I get a little extra spending money. And I had some plans for this time in my life. And God's saying, no, I want you to do what I want you to do in this time period. But Lord, that doesn't match up with my plans. Oh, be ready for him to talk to you maybe tonight as well as we go down this road. He's in the process of dealing with his church. Go to Romans chapter 13. Look at verses 11 through 14. He says, besides this, I don't have time to get to what he just talked about. Besides that, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. By the way, you're going to see that come up a lot tonight. Not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. So some would say, wait a minute, Jim. Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago almost. It's been 2,000 years since Paul said the time is now at hand and our salvation is nearer than we first believed. And everything just keeps going on. I say to you before you go any further, you don't want to keep saying that. Because the Bible said that scoffers will come in the last day saying everything goes on just as it always has. You don't want to be one of those scoffers. Secondly, if 2,000 years ago almost, God had Paul say, our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Would you not agree that that applies to us? Just, not just individually, but also as the church age. Oh, and on top of that, don't miss this fact. The Bible is very clear that this is the church age is the last time period before the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord begins with the tribulation period, the confirming of the covenant right into the millennial kingdom. There's nothing else before the day of the Lord. We're in the last time period. We're in the last days. Hebrews chapter one. In the past, God spoke through the prophets. But in these what? Last days, he's spoken through Jesus Christ. We've been in the last days since Jesus came to the earth. People say, oh, you, you prophecy people, you, you think we're in the last days. No, the Bible says we've been in the last days. For the sake of time, I won't have you go there, but I could take you to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 20, that talks about it as well. 
Folks, let me just tell you the Bible, and there's more places, but for the sake of time, I won't have you chase those. We're in the last days, have been since Jesus was on the earth. We're in the last time period before the, the day of the Lord. But we're also to recognize the signs of what's going on in our day. And I'm telling you, he's purifying his church right now. And as I travel the country and work with churches all over the country, let me just tell you, God is separating those who are his from those who aren't. Paul even wrote that when he wrote to the church in Corinth. He said, I hear there's some division among you. You guys don't have any division in your church, do you? He said, I hear there's some division among you, and no doubt I believe it, because there is going to have to be some division to show which of you have the Spirit or not. What does the Bible say? Because take a time, we won't have you turn there. What, is, what did Jesus say would be the evidence that we're his disciples, according to John 13, verses 34 and 35? I'm, I'm going to give you verse 34. A new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all the world will know that you're my disciples. All men will know you're my disciples. By your what? By your love for one another. Go back to James 3. And look again at verses 13 through 18, because we're going to move into chapter 4 tonight. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who's really got the Spirit? By his good conduct, let him show his works, listen closely, in the meekness of wisdom. Do you remember two weeks ago when we met what the definition of meekness was? Strength under control. We should never soften on the truth. But we also should understand that the Spirit of God is going to tell us when to speak and when not to speak. But if you have bitter jealousy, there it is again, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist... There's going to be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Listen to what he says as he's about to move into chapter four, because when, when James wrote this, he didn't say, OK, that finishes chapter three. I'm going to write chapter four tomorrow. This was a letter that he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And chapter four will go right into where we're going. But listen to what he's just said. He said, let the real evidence of the spirit in you be seen through your meekness within one another, through your gentleness with one another, through your being open to reason. But right now, what we see and have seen for years in the church is people jockeying for position. People that want their way. Debates over music preferences and whether or not we won't get the music we want. Oh, it goes all the way to the preacher level because there are preachers who have to have their parking spot. And the deacons who have to have their little name tag so everybody knows that they're a deacon and everybody's jockeying for position. And those of you in the choir are upset that you weren't picked for the solo in the musical. And we all without realizing it, have turned Christianity into what we're looking for in a church. 
My wife and I were driving back from Virginia and we stopped at a rest area in South Carolina at the Welcome Center and there was a man there who was kind of trying to encourage people in the greeting area to go see some of the sites in South Carolina. No, it wasn't South Carolina, it was Georgia. And uh, I got talking with him and he found out I was a preacher and he goes, I go to church. I go, every church you go to. And he started telling me about the church. Listen, listen to how he described his church. My wife and I picked it because it's got everything we want. Did you get that? Yeah. Does it have Jesus? Well, that's a very good question, Gator, whether or not it has Jesus. I don't know. this, But here's the deal. Listen, without realizing it, many of us have fallen prey to that same mindset. Have you ever thought about the fact that I'm chasing a rabbit here, but I, I have to chase it. Have you ever thought about the fact that the Bible says sing to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? In other words, I share my music for you instead of singing what I like. We're actually to be sharing with each other. I'm not chasing that one anymore. Go to James 4. Now listen to what he says. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. Oh, but then you'll ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives to spend it on your passions. I, I'm going to read to you the rest, but we're going to break down verses 1 through 3 tonight. He then goes on and he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Go back to verse 1. Notice how our passions, and some translations will say pleasures, are at war within us so that it causes quarrels among us. Don't miss that. The reason there are quarrels among us is because of our passions that are within us. So in other words, if I have passions within me that are causing me to have quarrels among you, I don't fix it by trying to be at peace with you. Where's the problem? It's in me. Self-pride, and it takes on many shapes. But let me just say to that, that's like going and trying to get rid of the cobweb without killing the spider. Yeah, the cobweb might be gone for a time, but until that heart issue is taken care of, it's going to manifest itself again. And so we need to get to that point where we say, Lord, show me my heart. Now, let me, let me say something to you in encouragement. As we go deeper tonight, 
God's going to start poking on certain things through his spirit in your life on things I don't even know about. But he's going to begin lovingly speaking to certain issues in your life that have been there for a while. Has God known that they've been there for a while? And he's loving and patient and he pokes at it tonight because he says, now you're ready for me to deal with it. Do you understand? Let him, let him, I love this illustration. You, let's just imagine your life is as a house and you gave your house to the Lord, right? And he says, awesome, I'm going to come live in this house. I want to go in this closet. Well, actually, Lord, you're free to go in the house. Just don't go in that closet. And he says to you, didn't that closet come with the house? Well, yeah, kind of in theory it did. I just didn't think you were going to go there. There's going to be some closets that he wants to open the doors to. And let me tell you, personally, this desire for control in my life has been there for many years. But he's showing me now as he's getting ready for when he's going to take us home. He says, I really want to open that closet now. That closet's been like that. And you've known me since 73. And that closet's been unopened, really hasn't been dealt with. But I want to deal with it now. And he's doing it because he loves me. And he's doing it because he loves you. And then he goes on and he says this, instead of yielding our desires to God's spirit to control... Remember, dealing with the passions that are at war within us. Instead of yielding our desires to God's spirit to control, we try to include God in having him help us get what we want. And tell me that doesn't sound like preaching we hear today in the American church. But look at what he says here. He says, you desire and you don't have, so you murder and you covet and can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And you, you don't have because you don't ask. Oh, but when you do ask... You don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives to spend it on your passions. We have a tendency to want stuff. And we look for scripture or ways that we can take God's word and make it so that we can get that stuff. I mean, doesn't Psalm 37 verse 4 say, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart? Well, that verse really is kind of cool to us who've always wanted a Winnebago. I mean, all you got to do is just delight myself in the Lord and he'll give me a Winnebago. Well, as you're going to see, delighting yourself in the Lord actually is getting to the point where you love the Lord so much and you're so surrendered to the Lord that whatever his desires are your desires. Well, let's just go there. Go to Psalm 37. Look at verses 4 through 11. Let's let the Spirit of God and the Word of God speak to those closets in our life. Psalm 37, verses 4 through 11. It says, Trust, sorry, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. 
Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Here we see it again. Oh, don't worry. God's going to deal with the wicked and that's going to be dealt with. And he's going to be faithful to his word that way. But right now he's talking to those that are his. And he says, I want you to delight yourself in me so much so that you're so fully surrendered to whatever I want for you that everything I want for you is what you want. And when everything I want for you is what you want, you got it. Oh, didn't Jesus say, if you ask anything in my name, you have what you ask for? Those have been verses that have really given me a bellyache over the years because he says it more than once. Now that you're mine, you can just ask anything in my name. And if you ask in my name, you have it. Anything you ask. Oh, we see later in the book of James that we need to ask, or in 1 John, we see that we need to ask according to his will. But what we do is we say, Lord, here's what I want. Make that your will. But he's saying, no, I want you to just delight yourself in me so much that whether I give you anything, you don't care. Because you delight yourself in me. And by the way, once you get to that point, when you really delight yourself in me and you really believe that I am good and you really believe that everything I have for you is best and that you really trust that even if it's a hard trial, it will be a good thing and you can count it as joy. Even when you get to that point, as we're going to see tonight, don't, that you do any, everything I ask you to do without grumbling or complaining. Because I've got to be honest with you, I've been obedient to the Lord. But I've done it with grumbling and complaining. I've done what God's asked me to do many times in my life. I wish I could tell you I did it because my heart was there. I was just like, yes, sir. All right. I'll do it. I've had that kind of obedience. And the Lord says, but I wanted your heart. But Lord, this is hard. Yeah, but actually, if you delight yourself in me and really... And you know what God's been showing me as he's been taking me and my wife? We're, there's going to be a change in our life in the next few weeks. I'm just going to say it and not get into too much detail. But my brother Jeremy's going to move into our house. I've enjoyed the empty nest. But because of his health and because of situations, God has made very clear that we're to take him into our home. And I'm being obedient. But I wish I could tell you I'm doing it without grumbling and complaining. And he said, there's a closet you've had in your house for years that I want to open now. Lord, I, I've kind of known that was there, but I've been pretty good. But then, listen, I'm going to speak to some of you here as well. He said to me, he goes, if you look back over your entire life, every time I've asked you to do something that you didn't want to do, and it was hard, and it was scary, 
did it not turn out to be one of the best things that ever happened to you? And I said, every single time. And he said, well, why don't you believe that that's going to happen again? He doesn't want just my obedience. He wants me to delight myself in him. There are some things in each of our lives right now that he is working on when it comes to generosity, forgiveness. Some of you struggling with lust. He's saying to you, the reason you're really holding on to these things because you really don't delight yourself in me. You still think you need some of this stuff to make you happy. I want to be everything. Go to Galatians chapter 2. All of us have passions that are at war within us. Look at verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Go to Galatians 5. Look at verses 13 and following. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You may spend it on your own passions. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, delighting yourself in the Lord, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. I don't do that stuff. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we're saved, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And as I was preaching to the church in Virginia about the letter to the church in Ephesus, God said, Jim, um, you're doing all the right things. But your heart's not in it. I want you to come back. I want you to trust me. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 15. I'm pretty sure you don't have this cross-stitched on your wall. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15. By the way, we all grew up with, I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength, didn't we? And had the picture of the guy jumping over the high bar, you know, and anything I want to do, I can do. And we've 
totally misunderstood the scriptures. Second Corinthians 5, look at verse 15. And he, Jesus, died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Didn't Paul say we're supposed to be crucified with Christ and that we don't live anymore? The life we live, we live by faith. Go to Philippians 2. Look at verses 1. But I'm going to keep reading all the way to verse 16. We've always stopped at verse 11. I'm going to keep reading. So, chapter 2, verse 1, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from His love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. But Lord, I like being an empty nester. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, if you'll yield to him. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't use his freedom for his own desires. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name. So at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. So now not only is in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who's working in you. Both to will, give you the desire, and to work for his good pleasure. I'm going to tell you, by the way, as God has been working in my life, he's changing my heart toward my brother. I'm not seeing him as much as a burden. As much as, as we hung out today, as I had to take him to the doctor and made sure that the home health nurses were there at the right time. I actually started remembering some of the fun we used to have as little boys. A lot of you may not know this, but my brother Jeremy, a lot of you know he sits there in the back a lot of times. He and I shared a bed until I was 16 years old. He and I have been connected for years. And today, as we were going through all that stuff, we started laughing. And God said, you might actually enjoy him in your house. Well, don't go there, God. <laughs> but my attitude is starting to change as the Spirit of God is working. But keep reading. Do all things without grumbling <laughs> or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, hold fa holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Are you doing obedience as well, but your heart's not in it? Are you saying, all right, I'll do it, and think you're okay because you've done what he've asked you to do? 
Or are you doing it because your loving Heavenly Father says, everything I have for you is good? And you believe it. Oh, delight yourself in the Lord. Trust him. And he will show you his goodness. True believers have given up their rights in order to follow Jesus and yield our lives to him. He is our Lord. He gets to call the shots in our lives, not us. Now, we do this willingly because he's good and his way is best. Now, there's nothing wrong to ask God for stuff, but do so with a heart that's okay if he says no, because you only desire what he desires for you. And then your desire or his desire will be your desire. Do you understand? There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, here's what I want. Jesus prayed that. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. Because everything you have is best. And we would all agree that Jesus, Father, God the Father's no to Jesus when Jesus said, take this away from me. That was best. Amen. Then we need to trust that whatever he's asking you to do right now, whatever he's asking you to lay down or to give up, is best. So here's what we're going to do in the time we have left. We've got like nine minutes left. I'm going to read to you some more scriptures that let, and let God's word remind us of these truths and let him speak to us. By the way, you're going to start realizing, hopefully, that most of the New Testament is written to encourage and purify the bride of Christ. Go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, look at verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. But God's grace is also training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We always stop there because we like that, and that's a good place to end. But it, if you notice, it's, the sentence continues. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all, all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Did you catch that? We focus in, on verse 13, how we're waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we miss the fact that his grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and to live upright lives as he purifies us to do the works that he has in mind for us to do for his purposes and for his glory. Folks, yes, Jesus is coming back. Yes, the church is going to be raptured prior to the tribulation period in the day of the Lord. All those things are true. But don't get so focused on that that you miss what he's doing right now. He's actually purifying his bride. And if he's poking you a little bit tonight, thank him. Because it's for your best. Because one day, if you yield to him, you can have an eternity of reward. But not if you did it grumbling. Titus 3. Boy, this will speak to us in this day and age in which we think we have to be louder than everybody else. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. Some of you might need to scrape a couple of bumper stickers off your car. <laughs> to avoid quarreling, 
to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Well, if we don't say something about the wickedness, it's going to get relaxed. The wickedness is going to increase. And actually, how we shine the light, the Bible says, is that we don't even, shouldn't even speak about the things that they do in darkness. How we shine the light is by living peaceable lives and gentle lives of meekness. Strength where we don't change on the truth, but we love them in the process. That's how you shine the light. You don't shine the light by going, you're doing these horrible things. You shine the light by being gentle in the midst of the world that wants to cancel you. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's awesome. Let's stop there. No, no. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Now, some of you have strong beliefs about Calvinism or predestination or Arminianism and free will. The Bible says you're not to be fighting with your brother and sister over those things. You need to believe what you believe from the Word of God, and you need to be gentle and meek. We're spending too much time arguing over end-time views. Whenever I teach on it, and I teach on it a lot, I tell them ahead of time, listen, this is what I believe God's shown me, and I'm going to stand before God for everything that I share with you, but I'm not here to have you come up and want to argue this stuff with me. That's not my purpose. I have a judge, and I will stand before him one day, and so do you. Wait until he holds us to court, if you will. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to verses 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Amen. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance even of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. This attitude will come from a true faith in God and His Lordship. Folks, let me say this to you as we close. I'm going to give you one more scripture as we wrap up tonight. He will protect you. He will provide for you. You don't need to right wrongs that have been done to you or seek revenge. Trust yourself to God.
Some of you are dealing with a forgiveness issue. And the Lord is poking that one. And he's actually trying to open that closet. And some of you don't want him to open it. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is in the, the, this is the last letter that we have from him. He's at the end of his life. He knows that he's about to die. But look at what he says in verses 14 through 18. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. And I want you all to go get him. No, he doesn't say that, does he? Listen to what he says. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. I'm going to let God deal with the wicked. Beware of him yourself, though, for he strongly opposed our message. We're to be wise as serpents, but what? Harmless and gentle as doves. Now, he then talks about how some people in the church did him wrong. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and he strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Were Paul's eyes at the end of his life on all the people who did him wrong? No. His eyes were where? On the Lord. And folks, I want to encourage you to join with me in the last days to let Jesus work on us in the areas that he wants to work on us. He's doing it because he's purifying his bride. And it's a sign that he's getting real close to coming to get us. Now, I'm going to have you pray one more thing with me. Isaiah chapter 62. I'm going to paraphrase around verse 6. All of Isaiah 62 is a prophecy that when... The people who believe God's word don't relent and they keep reminding him of his promises. He'll fulfill everything that he did. He said he would do for Israel. I want you to go and start. There's a movement of people across the globe, Christians, who are all focusing on reading and praying over Isaiah 62. They already started May 7th all the way through May 28th. There are people fasting. There are groups that are meeting to pray for God to finish what he promised he would do with the nation of Israel. And I want you to join with me. God's put that on my heart strongly. If I really believe we are close to the end of the church age, and I think we are at the same time, I am looking for when he's going to start moving his drawing back to the nation of Israel. And you go read Isaiah 62 and look at what it says. And verse 6, I'll read to you Isaiah 62, verse 6, as we close. Join with me in letting him not only work on each of us, but begin by saying also, or join with that and also saying, Lord, fulfill your promises to Israel. Look, he's made a lot of promises to him there, but look at verse 6. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. I feel like he's told us, hold me to my word. Hold me to my word. For those of us that he has put in, who put him in remembrance, we're to do that. I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.